0: You're listening to an ACCA podcast.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, Thank you for joining us this afternoon for the first of two conversations, bringing together artists from our current ACCA Open online project. My name is Annika Christensen. I'm Senior Curator at ACCA and Co-Curator of ACCA Open, alongside ACCA's Artistic Director, Max Delaney, and Curator, Miriam Kelly. To begin, I would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations as sovereign custodians of the land on which ACCA is situated. And the Wurundjeri people, as the traditional owners of the land on which I live, currently work, and am speaking to you or from this afternoon. I extend my respects to ancestors and elders, to past, present, and emerging, and to all First Nations people who join us here for this afternoon's conversation. I'd also like to acknowledge the important, long standing, and ongoing contribution that Indigenous Australians make to art, knowledge, and culture. ACA Open was conceived of in March in the early days of the then newly declared pandemic, as a way for ACCA to remain open to our audiences while the physical gallery was necessarily closed. More specifically, the aim of the project was to ensure that we could continue to work with and to support contemporary artists during a time of disruption and uncertainty, continuing ACCA's focus on commissioning new work and furthering our organisational mission to do art differently. The project began as an open call invitation to Australian artists from all backgrounds, career levels and practices, to submit ideas for projects that could be presented in the digital realm. We were humbled and thrilled by the extraordinary quality and array of proposals. And while we were only able to commission six projects for this inaugural digital commissioning program, we are truly excited about the breadth of ideas that were submitted, about the creativity, ingenuity and adaptability of artists and what this might signal for the future of exhibitions, both in physical space and online. ACA Open comprises newly commissioned projects by artists Archie Barry, Zanny Begg, Leulia Shragi, Madeline Flynn and Tim Humphrey, Amrita Heppe and Sam Sam Lieblik and Sean Peoples. The works are being released over August, September and October of this year, And they'll be available on ACCA's new digital exhibition platform for varying durations, as is particular to each work. If you haven't already, please do go to ACCA.Melbourne and follow the links to ACCA Open. The link to the exhibition page I believe will also be included in this session's chat. The works in ACCA Open of course respond to the unusual times and cultural conditions in which they are produced. The same conditions that necessitate us all meeting in a format such as which we're all gathering for this evening's discussion. Intended to be engaged with online, they also address a wide variety of particular concerns that are unique to making art for the digital realm. But these projects, at least I would argue, are not about the pandemic, nor necessarily about the technical specifics of their creation and distribution. Rather, I think that they use a digital platform or means of encounter to ask questions that are at the core of what it means to be a human in the world today. Questions including, as we will hear from our artists tonight, how does it feel? How much time do we have? And what is human self-determination? The format for this evening's discussion will be three 10-minute presentations from the artists about each of their project, followed by a conversation between us as a panel. At the end of the session, there may be time to take questions from the audience. So please feel free to add questions as you go directly into the Q&A feature um, of this session. These will be moderated by my colleagues, Miriam Kelly and Bianca Winata Putri, and we'll endeavor to respond to them as best we can as time permits. It's my great pleasure now to welcome our ACA uh, Open Artists who are joining us here this afternoon. Amrita Heppi and Sam Lieblik, Madeline Flynn and Tim Humphrey, and Archie Barry, who will speak about their projects in that order. And so I'm just gonna do some quick bios for our first Cads Off the Rank and then we'll be underway. So Amrita Heppi is an award-winning choreographer, artist and dancer from Bunjilung and now Puhi territories currently based in Melbourne. Amrita's work takes various forms, including film, performance, sculpture, text, lecture and participatory installation. Utilising hybridity and the extension of choreographic and performative practices, Heppe creates work that considers the body's relationship to personal histories and the archive. Sam Lieblik is a neuroscientist, writer and psychiatrist whose research focuses on the role of the brain in generating a sense of self and place. He works with linguistic and psychoanalytic conceptions of human subjectivity to try to address, address the scientism of neuroscience and to explore the interaction or integration of the human subject and the algorithm. Widely published in his field, Sam is also currently working on a novel, addressing many of the topics that no doubt will be discussed today. Neighbour is the first project that has brought Amrita and Sam together as artistic collaborators. And Amrita and Sam, it's now a pleasure to hand over to you to hear more about your work for ACA Open, Neighbour.
2: Thanks, Anika. Thanks, Annika. So I'm Sam.
0: I'm Rita, Nice to meet you. So we'll begin. Yes, it's fun. It's fun. It's a new experience. I think I might be able to work that out. Yes.
2: Okay, well, I'm not sure if you're okay with my my friend in Berlin at the end of the week. I'm not sure if that's what I'll be looking into. He is in Berlin and there is no social capital. I'm working for a couple of weeks trying to fix some small and simple things and, and spending my little break.
0: It's nice to see the world through your eyes and to be honest.
2: This notion that we have surpassed the animal kingdom in the sphere of human intellectual stimulation is further evidenced by the fact that there is at present no Oxford English dictionary of real personas.
0: It's a beautiful place not to be, it's a beautiful place to be working. There are few people in Berlin, no one that we know any more here than people you are, like my friends and you, that you are really a fun person to be working on. What part do you think?
2: The notion that there might be a singular definition of the word for all human conversation is itself a thought born of a singular date, March 20, 2015. When when words like chat, message, message, all ceased to be used to describe the acts or attitudes of men and women, and came instead to be used to describe the flow of human consciousness as a single unified wave of energy coursing through the veins of matter.
0: Uh...
2: I'm okay with that. So that is um, a AI generated text that I made this morning um, with an AI model called Mm -hmm. GPT-2. I inputted, all of the text that Amrita and I have ever sent each other, uh, and then I gave it the prompt, it's a chatbot that explores a few different concepts pertinent to artificial intelligence and the algorithm. And so you can see uh, it, is so, it is a sort of a reflection of some of the things we talked about. Um, it's also a, an approximation of each of our sort of dictions, although I think it makes me look much nerdier than I am. Mm. Um,
3: <laughs>
2: uh, but it's it's essentially pretty pretty meaningless.
0: But it's a nice way of, I guess, showing or beginning to show, if you haven't already seen Neighbour, I guess, yeah, the syntax that's shared between Sam and I. And in some ways, it kind of lets you into the intimacies of our textual relationship. Um, so I want to begin uh, first by... Also acknowledging that we are on um, the lands of the Kulin Nation, we're in our own country. Uh, and to say that we are connected through other countries as well. But the internet is not um, a place that exists in the sky or purely on our screens. It actually does have a physical presence. And so through that uh, hard wire, we're all uh, connected. Um, I want to start a little bit. The picture that you're seeing is um, from Caltech Spectrum. I put it up there because I wanted to show people touching. (laughs) Also, uh, just to talk a little bit about my practice. For those of you that don't know, mostly work in dance. The bedrock of my practice is participation. And as an artist, I'm interested in the dilemma of authenticity and originality and what we will do as humans to prove ourselves, to show evidence of ourselves, to show document of ourselves. Um, <clears throat> during the pandemic, I wanted to, I, I mean, I wanted to have a bit of a rest, and that was week one. But I also wanted to resist the immediate market-driven demand to turn everything into a flat online experience. I felt adolescent in um, my recalcitrance at first. Um, but I, if I was going to make something, I wanted to continue to have some form of proof, some evidence, some participation that could be there. In a time where our communication is already over flooded in the digital realm, which we shouldn't forget is always watching, whether we are online or not, our absence feeds techno-capitalism as much as our presence now. I wanted to make something that uh, spoke to that. Uh, I uh, think the next slide. Next slide is, um, is Awakahuia. And you know, I recently have been, this was first shown to me by a choreographer, Charles Peronejo, and was then um, recently kind of put back into my mind by another choreographer, Victoria Hunt. Awakahuia, the waka is a canoe used in Maori culture, and a huia is a type of bird. And you can see that. That's one of the feathers in the wakahuiya. It's quite sacred. So it's almost thinking about things, uh, thinking about our practice as a vessel and that we fill it up. Wakahuiya are kind of wooden storage boxes in which are kept very special and precious items and gifts. But I think uh, when reconsidering it, I was thinking about what is it that is uh, culturally sacred or how to hold culture or contribute to the mass of it. Because like the internet, culture is not something that exists in the sky. It's something that you're physically tied to. And there's a consciousness that has to exist about the container it's a part of. Uh, And that we aren't abject to the machine. It's part of us. So Nebo, I guess, is not really necessarily uh, a wakahuya, But it does hold the sacred object that is the syntax, humor, and shared subjectivity of Sam and I, whilst having others contribute to it. Uh, And I think this is a nice way to, maybe a gentle way to think about things, uh, uh, about the vessel of our practice.
2: Um, So, as Annika said, my uh, scientific and artistic practice is all essentially concerned with this function of language that is called deixis, which is essentially how the human being and language interact in order to produce um, orientation or a, a place in the world. You can see from this diagram, it, um, deixis is really the quality of language that describes words like there, here, you, me, and also social relations and other relations between things. Um, and uh, so, and I want to say about neighbor as well, that um, the last thing we're think, we were thinking of with that work was to provide an answer to any of the questions we, we would pose today. Mm. Um, I think we were thinking, as Amrita said, of the, of the work as a sort of part of a line of inquiry about some vague things. Uh, in, uh,
0: vague but very specific in some way when we're talking about feeling.
2: Yeah, some specific (laughs) technological entities that actually encounter some very vague metaphors, which I think I'll get into, um, but that have a lot to do with each other are always conflated and have some effect on the way that um, the human subject will orient itself in the world now and in the future. Um, And those things are essentially the the things that Amrita and I spoke about on the first time we ever had a conversation in which we already sort of generated the seeds of this work, I think, Mm -hmm. which were um, AI and the algorithm. Um, So AI being, well, some sort of technological agent that would do some discrete decision-making, produce speech or something like that. Uh, The algorithm, which is, you know, in our common experience, the thing that decides what we see on Google or what we see on Instagram but, of course, it has a million other applications. Uh, and then this thing, the technological singularity, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of, um, which is always very vaguely stated, but which is something like a spaceless, unplaced, beyond the body where our consciousness will supposedly be uploaded and stored one day.
0: Very matrix.
2: Absolutely. A very <laughs> interesting way of um, thinking about your mother, I would say. <laughs> um, but anyway, when reader and I first met, I was deep into writing about this in the novel that Anika mentioned and about this complex of technological things. And I'm going to conflate them all because I think they're always conflated. So I'll just think of AI algorithm, and the singularity, all as this one sort of cultural figure, let's say. Um, and, um, and the way that it integrates with these metaphors of... Uh, these natural and organic metaphors, the cloud, ocean, singularity, because I think it's part of this broader... Relatively recent eschatological tendency within human thought, um, which emerges probably because we are very close to dissolving into the universe right now, but also mirrors old fantasies, um, essentially, that nature is more organized than it appears. And one thing I've been very interested in is the concept of hubuk from the Quran, uh, which suggests that the heavens are composed of pathways and interwoven tracks. And so with the singularity and with the cloud, we sort of have this opposite idea where a rigidly hierarchical structure like the World Wide Web um, or, or, you know, a network of computers is, and because the web is also a metaphor, <laughs> is posed as um, really something nebulous like a cloud or an ocean. And I have to say, I don't really, we don't really trust this tendency to make natural metaphors out of a machine. We mm. think it has something to do with obscuring certain power relations. And I think neighbor might expose some of those. Um, so we wanted to get the user involved in these metaphors, move things around, do some reversals of the way AI operates mm. so that the user sees a bit of what's going on in the background. Um, and so instead of thinking of it as a cloud or a black box, it's exposed as more of a machine and especially as a money-making machine. Mm. Here you can see a uh, visual categorization uh, by AI. Um, and, I mean, you can see also how simplistic it is, car, 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 bicycle, person. Um, so we took that task and we sort of reversed it, um, where instead of, uh, the, the world generating vision and then the AI doing the categorization, we have the AI generating some visual stimulus and then the user trying to categorize it. Um, you know, for instance, neighbor asks in response to this image at some point, um, how does, how does, how does it feel? possibly referring to the image, possibly referring to the experience of seeing the image. And we think, Go ahead. I
0: think that we also found that when it came to visual categorization, people were a lot more comfortable in being able to click on something when they could see what it was in order to categorise it. And there's, uh, it's, it's the, also some of the feedback that we've had from it is that there's all of a sudden, because it's tied to thinking that it is Sam and I making this, that there's a kind of self-consciousness that happens when people are trying to dig and dig at this question, how does it feel?
2: Mm. Mm. And also, that's right, foregrounding the fact that it's you and I who programmed this, this algorithm is, I think, very important because people think that the AI is generating things, and I've been accused by good friend uh, Luara Carlson-Karp about (laughs) being too much of a humanist with respect to the AI and thinking Mm -hmm. it's not human enough, essentially. But really, it's just a form of writing produced by people. Mm. Um, And the fact that their personage isn't seen in the operation of the algorithm maybe obscures that fact a bit.
0: And I think, I mean, while... But that it is completely obscured by the algorithm and that's mm. the scary thing as well.
2: And, I mean, especially with this visual um, categorization task, you can see it's really just sort of a recapitulation of how AI happens in the first place, which is that a company takes an AI model and then takes gigabytes and gigabytes of visual data like this picture of a street and then uh, puts it on a crowdsourcing platform like Amazon's um, Mechanical Turk, it's called, Um, which is sort of um, a place where you can um, upload, let's say, gigabytes of images like this and have lowly paid workers in so-called third world countries, categorise them manually, and then you take those lists of categories attached to these images and you use them to train an AI, and then presumably eventually the AI replaces these lowly paid workers. But all of that work is sort of obscured by the the function of the algorithm in general and you don't see how much actual human labour and um, Mm. exploitative human labour at that goes into the production of the AI. So we wanted to neighbour to sort of zoom in and out of these algorithm to human relationships and people to experience the work involved in uh, uh, becoming accustomed to the the algorithm themselves and also teaching the algorithm and, and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. originally when we were thinking about making this work our intention was to make something that was live it's where I think uh, my interests lie with being with an audience and being able to have that uh, participation so we wanted to make a bot that could be responded to in the theatre with a panel um, this is still something that we are looking at doing in the future
2: mm. and I mean that and this work both of them sort of contributing to answering the same essential set of questions about the algorithm, which is, you know, is it another type of subject like a human subject? Is it a colleague of ours Uh, or is it just no different from a novel or a poem? Is it just another type of writing that happens to have some dynamic elements that happens to be um, massive uh, in terms of its volume, but is really just another cultural product similar to a novel is or it really a dance work. yeah or a dance <laughs> work. is it really intellect that we're talking about when we're mm. talking about artificial intelligence, or when we have hopes and dreams for artificial intelligence, is it really intelligence that we want from it, or is it something more like emotion, creativity, desire, surprise, creativity because um, because some the the quality of intelligence is something that all software has all software is sort of a cognitive process, um, so why do we divide off a subcategory of software and call it so called artificial intelligence mm-hmm. i don 't believe it 's actually intelligence that we hope to find there um, so That's some impossible I think we 're probably going to run out answers. of time soon but yes. yeah so we sort of made neighbor to really embody that whole inconsistent bric a brac of thoughts feelings hopes, and fantasies about the algorithm and AI and look at the even look at the power relations; it's a lot to achieve. I'm no. I like what
0: you've also written there. It's that it's everything but intelligence. Like, where could there be some kind of intuition to kind of, while trying to grapple with this question, how does it feel? Where can you where can you park your I guess yeah the 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 idea the preconceived notion that you could talk about how you feel while being monitored about how you feel, you mm. know, and that there is always this presence of yeah, another with surveillance and, and when trying to answer this question. Hmm. 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 And so whether you're answering it for yourself, for the machine, or for the other, there's...
2: Well, that's the ambiguity, the, the it of how does it feel allows, and that's why we thought it would be a great sort of central prompt, prompt. For, the, for the bot to oh. concentrate on.
0: I think we have to wrap it up.
2: Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but to just look at that phrase, I mean it's a lot more complicated than it first appears because everyone. it's such a commonly heard phrase. Mm. Um, And, um, you know, the how is itself ambiguous. We don't know if we're talking about what feelings are being had or what's the method by which the feelings are being had. And then, of course, the it. Is the it us? Is the it the algorithm? Or is the it some sort of hyper-subject or Mm. hyper-object that incorporates them both? And so I think that's...
0: And that's that. A pretty... yeah. And that's Neva. Yeah. Um, I would also really be keen to uh, have any questions after this within the conversation, um, not from the audience, but also from the audience. So anyway, we will stop sharing our screen now. Thank you.
1: Many thanks, Amrita and Sam. I have so many questions for you already that <laughs> I'm busting to ask, but we'll wait until we get to the panel conversation at the end. Um, I'd now like to invite Madeleine Flynn and Tim Humphrey to discuss their work, How Much Time Do We Have?, which is currently streaming until the end of stage four restrictions here in Melbourne. Madeleine Flynn and Tim Humphrey are long-term collaborators and leading audio conceptual artists who create unexpected situations for listening. Their work is driven by a curiosity and questioning about listening in human culture and seeks to evolve and engage with new processes and audiences through public and, particip- and participative interventions. Their practice intertwines local, national and international relationships. Madeline and Tim's current areas of interest are existential risk, artificial intelligence in public space and long-form socially engaged public art interventions. So over to you, Maddie and Tim. Thanks very much.
4: Thanks, Anika. Hi, I'm Maddie.
3: Um,
4: and we're seated here at home in our home studio um, based in Nam, Melbourne, and we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land of the Kulin Nation and pay our respects to Elders past, present and yet to come. Our practice begins, ends and circles around to sound, music and listening.
3: We think of this cycle as expanded fields of concern that connect to principles in this site. Where are we? Communities, who is here and not here. Technologies, how we can be here. Techniques of composition of form, intersections of technical, practical, sonic, visual, material, and cultural.
4: We're just gonna smash through a fast snap of a few of contexts and projects of our work and concerns over the last few years. And hopefully that'll give you a sort of texture of what keeps us going and what keeps us up at night. I was gonna share the screen.
3: So number one, five shot blasts is the work for a flotilla of boats and radio broadcasts that is made anew in each site for and with the water contexts and communities. Uh, five shot plus means I am unsure of your intentions and fear we may collide. An audience goes on the water to listen to the site, to its people and provocations. This work brings together the people of the water.
4: Yeah. Um, we, we have a series of works that use artificially intelligent tools in public space. Um, two of them are here we're going to talk about. Pivot is a field of semi-intelligent seesaws that sing. The seesaws talk to the writers and the writers talk back. It's a sort of public artwork shaken into life by the audience. Um, And we contain multitudes. We made um, after a residency at the Doherty Institute in collaboration with Arts House. And it's a talking tap in a bathroom that discusses the complexity of the microbiome. It was made pre-pandemic and feels strongly prescient now.
3: X-Risk. Extris was, uh, was a works for a cemetery to a theatre. Uh, it was made through a period of research with the Scott Polar Research Institute in the UK and collaborators Live Umbrella in Finland, and takes an audience from a cemetery to a theatre to consider the embodied poetics of the individual and the group and existential risk. The work, this work, premiered in November 2019 in Finland and probably will never happen again.
1: Maddie and Tim, just quickly, I just want to jump in. I don't think your screen is sharing um, publicly, so... Oh, okay. ...that again.
3: Okay.
4: Thank you. How's that, Annika? Did that work? Yes. Yes, that's great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So I missed a few of our snaps.
3: Yeah, but that's,
5: that's okay. <laughs> that's okay,
4: yeah. Uh, so this this is our most recent work uh, that we made in public space. Um, it's called When It Rains, uh, and it was a work we made for Asia Topa in February, March this year with our long-term collaborators from Korea, Jihoon Kim and Jin yim and using a highly directional moving speaker, the walls of the old side of the Abbotsford Convent became surfaces of sound, while tiny figures and architectural elevation reframed and recalibrated our question about what we feel due to where we are. So many other projects too, but um, somehow these threads uh, lead us lead us to our work for the ACCA Open Series. How much time do we have? Um, and I'm so impressed. um, Sam and Amrita, it was fantastic to hear about your work and also uh, thinking about the way that you started to think about your title. I'm going to nick that for next time. Um, How much so? So some of the threads that have been in our mind unconsciously or unconsciously relate to the ongoing persistent compulsion to question and examine fundamentals Something minuscule, something invisible and germinal, has upturned the whole edifice and laid bare the worst aspects of contemporary society, like inequality, of infection. But much more than this, the scales of griefability, precarity, and everything else.
3: Precarious heroics and the white privilege of isolating and staring at a screen, as a, and staring at a screen, as opposed to the experience of, for example, Sriha and Ganeshan continuing to work in Lockdown Melbourne, as he wrote in Katakara, Counting the Times of Colonisation and COVID from the online journal Peril, issue 42, ending with the grey naked truth of this society.
4: So the situation stage four lockdown in Melbourne describes a very specific, if quite wide and well populated site. The stage four lockdown congeals its specificity during this course of making our this piece. Certain texts arose and a certain kind of orchestration for the germinal sound. Another sense of sight for us is also the physical location. The moving image and sound precariously arrives in your home, like morse code from a remote telegraph station. The whole apparatus keeping us connected is actually fragile, precarious in an equitably distributed
3: COVID-19 is something minuscule and fragmentary that has arrived and exposed afresh the precarity of the world population. Within our time now, a computer runs the patch from here at home over there, four metres away, uh, heading via the NBN connection to the online site. It may be interrupted at any time due to rats, due to the artists tripping over the power cord, The half hearted implementation of the communications infrastructure in Australia, or a coal fired power outage.
4: So, as this work is online, that gave us an opportunity to think about embedded access tools in web browsers. Like with the possible poetics of the alt text that you can upload with an image, we wondered what the techniques of embedded alt text readers in browsers could bring to an online work. This led us to talk with a series of collaborators, Andy Slater and Faye and DV of the Society of Visually Impaired Sound Artists, Will Macrosty from Description Victoria, and Cassie Lynch, a Noongar researcher, writer, curator, concerned, amongst other things, with climate narratives of landscape.
3: Um, our work is generated live from a series of materials, choices, and design forms that we've made. It turns out that there's not yet a way to generate live audio description in an alt text reader for image sound that is generated live. That led us to incorporate the written text or captions and audiated text into the work itself. Our conversations with these collaborators led us to consider the frames of audio descriptions, the push and pull, the tempos, the energies, the language, the responsibilities. Techniques with audio description and alt text and captions sit now in within the fabric of that piece.
4: Further so conversation with Cassie brought us to consider the effect that the effort that is required in considering considering topographies, the slow time it takes for an embedded indigenous climate narrative in a landscape to be revealed.
3: The sound and image are assembled with a sense of charms and hypnosis, suspension of former markers of time, progression or life, together with some long-term favourite ideas of infinite process and eternal musics. We imagine or see on Zoom screens people wearing headphones in imaginary shared and remote spaces. Practically, the headphones allow us to consider the possibility of more imaginary binaural spatialised sound experiences, but also the sound can happen in space, in a room, in a kitchen, in a study. It's designed for all of this.
4: We decided with Annika and Rowan that the work would fade from view at the end of Stage 4 restrictions in Melbourne. At the moment, that seems that it will be September the 28th. We see it now as a sort of iteration of something that comes into focus. Maybe another iteration will happen in another place, another time, but maybe that's all there is. So we're going to um, beg a bit of an indulgence here if we could, like, spend a minute together, just uh, with the with our work screening. Um, it's streaming now. Can you can you see it? Okay. and hear it. We have decided to go through with this. Small dots appearing from the right and parallel vertical and horizontal lines. Warm
1: colors remind me of warmer times and cold colors, cold times.
4: diagonal lines cannot shift from their orbit. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Maddie and
3: Tim. Um,
1: I'd now like to welcome our final artist, Archie Barry, to discuss their work, Multiply, which will launch as part of ACCA Open on Wednesday, the 30th of September. Informed and complemented by lived experience, Archie Barry describes their work as an autobiographical, somatic, and process led multidisciplinary practice spanning performance, video, music composition and writing modalities. Themes of personhood, embodiment, gender and mortality are experientially theorised through sustained moments of intense, effective connection with audiences. They also describe working with strategies of disquieting and uncanny bodily gestures, doubled voices, deformed and reformed language and the production of multiple digital personas. So many thanks, Archie. It's over to you.
5: Thank you, Anika. I'll just begin by sharing screen. All right. Um, So uh, the project that I have been working on is titled Multiply, and it's an audio work uh, that exists as five songs, which are conceptualised as a fractured conversation about human self-determination and interdependence, which is voiced by five different personas, which are all my voice. Um, the project has a sonic and lyrical focus on urban, domestic and digital experience. Um, the work was made on Wurundjeri land where I am at the moment. Uh, and the work was informed by conversations and experiences that I had on Wurundjeri, Wurrung, Boonwurrung, Wathaurong, Seneca, Lakota and Dakota lands. And I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emergent and extend that respect also to the First Nations people listening this afternoon. Um, so what I'll do is describe the background and then some of the intentions in the work and I'll show you a few short excerpts as well. Um, if you have headphones, please get them ready because that will be the best way for listening back in this format. Um, Multiply is the first solely sound-based project that I have made. Um, um, this movement towards making sound work uh, took place or happened because I was feeling overwhelmed by the way that the oculocentric nature of our culture has really crystallised into um, online video formats such as this with the rise of the pandemic, Um, and because as someone who has primarily made performance work in the past, the politicised dimension between absence and presence and witnessing seemed to me to have become flattened and therefore unworkable for the time being. Um, In the process of making the work, I was also noticing how the pandemic and the current lockdowns in Melbourne producing this uh, standardisation of movement and social engagement, um, which is both our civic obligation but also the cause of our nervous systems becoming exposed to an increasingly narrow bandwidth of sensory experience. And when our senses are regulated, we lose our capacity for imagination and we lose our capacity for political imagination. Um, For these reasons, the project is fundamentally imaginative. It takes to question the idea of subjectivity or individualism or a single self as essentially an unhelpful ideology for this moment. Uh, What I'm interested in doing is suggesting a paradigm where people are less unique and alone and instead are interconnected and inseparable from the global commons of affect or emotion and the drama of our social totality. Um, In making multiply, I was interested in creating encounters that could encourage listeners to notice physical sensations which is suggested by the graphic for the project here, uh, which is a simplified map of four cranial nerves, uh, which enable sensation, speech, swallowing, gagging, and certain facial expressions. Um, In making this work, it is my hope that listening can be a form of visiting when visiting is otherwise a difficult thing to do. Uh, Multiply conjures strange haptic experiences through sonic references to sci-fi, cinema, ballads, lullabies, choral music, techno, and the movements of chewing and digesting, whispering, smashing, slamming, dropping, bathing, fluttering, flickering, and falling, amongst other sounds. Um, I have focused attention on this flux of unpredictable sensations, moods, and phrases, Multiply is an invitation to inhabit a range of different perspectives to create right hemispheric right synaptic connections that can make us aware and appreciative of this sense of an open surrounding present, which we are inseparable from. Um, I'm going to show you the working document, which is the um, persona schema, uh, which assisted me in developing the project, and I'll just read some of the sentences here. So adopting parts theory, also known as internal family systems model, a psychoanalytic method suggesting that the mind is composed of multiple subpersonalities with discrete viewpoints and qualities. Below is the track list of multiply organized into personas. Uh, I'll just skip. So multiply takes place through disparate times, places, gestures, and politics. These interweaving stories are embedded in the work. They are not literal and they are not metaphorical. They are sense impressions collected from places that I've been and interactions I've had, fractured and rearranged into a five-track score. Um, And then we have this matrix, um, which enabled me to think about each song from a bunch of different points of view. Um, So, for example, the first track of the five is titled Breeding, Who is it? It's the voice of a virus, which is many voices with one script which mutates over time. The gesture is a fluttering or oscillation. The affect is pure love, very loving, this sense of perfect proliferation or parental advice, suggestion, protection, an agenda or an offering. Um, The where and when of this song is a bath, it's um, the feeling of being submerged in liquid or this sense of being in like a thick suspension or bathing inside of a body. Um, the philosophy affects breed affects, emotions are contagious. Uh, Interdependence and change are necessary for survival The politic of the song um, is this permission to feel a range of affects to be multiple because limited feelings equal a limited engagement with the world. And then we have musical techniques and sonic histories and then a list of the transitions between each song. Um, So I'll show you an excerpt from track one, which I just described, and then also... Um, track two called "Thicker Water Everywhere," and then I'll just skip to the next slide here. Um, and you'll also hear an excerpt from the final song in the project called "Debuilding," which is the voice of aluminium molecules being um, exhumed from the earth. Um, so. I'll play through these short excerpts and in between each excerpt, there will be a few phrases and comments which were taken during the consultation sessions that happened um, throughout the development of the work roughly once a month with a panel of three local sound musicians, uh, Thambi Sotl, Mary Lee Worthy and Daniel Janatz. Um, So I'll just go to the next slide and um yeah we'll just listen back to this short excerpt repeat with me in your mind or in your mouth pain breeds compassion which breeds pain which breeds compassion which breeds pain Which
3: breeds pain, which breeds compassion, which breeds pain, which breeds compassion, which breeds pain, which breeds compassion, which pain, which breeds compassion? which breeds
2: pain, which pain,
5: during the development of the work words in a mouth opposed to words in the world Uh, summoning wise ghosts first thought best thought improvised nature of things coming together earnest first track is confident but quiet final track is questioning but loud so now we'll listen to a 30 second excerpt of the final song uh, called deep building being alienating, the sadness of an apartment being built. Not a convincing sonic space, a synthetic space. Relation to soundtrack music to create an emotional feeling, but not be from the scene or place. Travelling in the same direction, consistent tempo convey belt. Um, so this is the final uh, sound excerpt that I will share from the second song, um, titled Thicker Water Everywhere. Every simulation simultaneously sings So that nothing feels that different To any other thing Stories of no endings and in sitting in. So the desire to interface with the world and given the possibility of that safety as a political concept, safe space. Who is afforded safety or given the space to be safe, and who is not? Dreaming about being a political actor, but this is just a dream. Harnessing the emotional power of the format of presenting a song. And we'll end with teenagers in their bedrooms being moody, which is probably the one that all of us in Melbourne can relate to most at this point. Um, So, yeah, that's the conclusion of this little presentation, and the work will be available from Wednesday the 30th through the AC Open site. Um, So I'll stop my screen share now.
1: Thanks so much, Archie. Um, We've got about 10 minutes remaining and I'm aware that we've got at least a couple of questions from the audience as well. And I'm really interested in questions that you guys might have for one another, but I'll just begin um, perhaps with a question for all of you collectively as a panel, which is how you considered the audience in the creation of your work. So, Amrita, you you mentioned your work, of course, in performance, in which most of the time you're performing to a live audience, so there's immediate feedback there. And Archie, you frequently make work to be experienced in a gallery space, um, which are often fairly controlled environments that perhaps kind of prescribe, I guess, certain expectations of or responses from the audience. And Maddie and Tim as well, in making work for public space, um, you're so familiar with seeing people immediately engage with your works. And I remember a nice comment that you made last week when you screened your work to Acker's Art Club that it was the first time that you were watching your work with other people, which is, of course, so unusual for artists who you know might see people encounter their works in gallery spaces and have a sense of, of how it's resonating with people. So maybe just to begin and then please all kick in and ask each other your own burning questions. I just wondered if you could sort of, um, I guess, you know articulate if you if you had been thinking of the audience's experience of the work in um, creating these particular projects and if they if that experience differed because they were specifically for the digital realm
0: Yes, it completely <laughs> differed and it's um, I, spe- I, I guess there's always a, an amount of speculation of who your audience is while there's still like a a kind of cognizant um uh, maybe like hope for who they are. And this is the relation increased even more. And for Neighbour, we there's also this there's also the fact that we're uh, kind of able to see people's responses to a certain extent. So we're able to see the effect of the audience and, and know who's there. And and that and it, for me, that was thrilling, you know, because I guess you kind of can assume on maybe an energetic level that. You, you felt an audience or you knew what audience or you were responding to them or you're actually faced with them and you're in conversation with them in some of my work. But I think for Neighbour, uh, it was like a whole new, a, a whole new experience with the audience because we could actually see the proof of document that they'd been there and had to answer very challenging questions. I mean, originally
2: we <laughs> thought about it, about it being an interaction between Amrita and I and the bot on stage and then the online format gave us the opportunity to actually do the real work that we thought we might perform as an example of reflecting the opinions of, of a huge audience. And so we found, you know, we found we didn't just perform the interaction between the human and the algorithm, we just reduplicated it. We just made another <laughs> algorithm for people to actually interact with. And, so, and that we wouldn't have been able to do that without it being in this online form. So it was actually an advantage of, of yeah. having to go online. Hmm.
1: And Archie and and Maddie and Tim, I mean, you're making work that's for listening. And often in a gallery, that's kind of a controlled experience. But of course, you have, um, you know, really no idea how people are engaging with the work, whether it's on, sorry, my cat's appearing, (laughs) Um, whether it's on a computer screen or whether it's on a, a device through earphones or through tinny speakers. And I know that Maddie and Tim, you've talked about that being a positive thing. You know, you're interested in different modes of engagement and in people kind of coming back to the work in different ways. But Archie, I think for yours as well, I wondered if... Um, that kind of chaos, perhaps, that the audience bringing um, their experience of the work, um, if that kind of added to a sort of sense of disconnection um, or discordance that you're hoping to look at as well um, within the subject itself.
5: Mm. Yeah, I think, like, uh, the sort of unknowable um places that it might get experienced like whether that's someone sitting in a yard or taking a walk or people sitting together in a lounge room or someone lying in bed to listening to it um that's really interesting to me like I it's actually like a form of dissemination that feels so much more um able to just like attune to other people's um sense of where they are and what they're doing and so it, it actually feels quite exciting exciting and freeing um, in relation to like the way that i guess I have made work in the past or live work particularly um, where yeah exactly as you say it's like such a um controlled environment like a gallery or museum space really determines the way that people even hold their bodies and look and so um yeah this idea of like the work meeting meeting people um out there is <laughs> really yeah, exciting yeah. Mm. that that really makes sense to me Archie about me
4: saying about the work meeting people i think um for for me because our thing is continually being made um i've had a hope might be a fantasy um, that people will come alongside it over at different times in different spaces. Um, that there, there's a sort of persistence of this space being made that people will come alongside. And yeah, yeah. There's
3: also something a little bit full I think with the idea that um, everyone's gone and. No-one's actually listening to it, but it's still going. (laughs) There's something about that as well, which is uh, the kind of opposite of audience, uh, which I think was also on our minds or on my mind, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Rita and Sam, I guess I've also got a question because you are getting immediate responses and maybe, I mean, I'm interested in the way that people converse online um, and the way that perhaps things are said um, between people that may not be expressed publicly if you were face-to-face. And so someone has asked a question from the audience about some of your kind of favourite responses that you've got through Neighbour, but I also wondered probably a little bit more grandly um, if like what you had learnt about humanity based on the kinds of exchanges that you were receiving through the chatbot.
0: Well, of course we have an online avatar, but <laughs> I think... Yeah, there's like the available like whenever we're in front of like a camera or an audience, in some ways there's a performance that's happening. And so there's definitely I think some some maybe more like it's funny, I think there's some people who are like, Oh, you know, I I don't care. And so that's like informed their responses in some way, like trying to be chill about a about a question when they're not chill. And um there's a lot more cheek. People yeah. are
2: aware they're being watched. That's very mm. obvious. And a lot, of, a lot of the answers to the three main questions that the bot poses, how does it feel, what is it like and what is it, um, those people give really nice but contrived poetic answers. I think we might learn something by aggregating all of those answers and then... Um, training an AI off those answers or something like that. I think
0: they're always contrived. Sometimes I think they're hoping for
2: sincere. (laughs) (laughs) But then um, some more candid stuff comes out after, because neighbor, once it's collected answers to all those three questions, it still stays interacting with you. And things free up a lot between the bot and the user at that point. And then they start, uh, the user and the bot uh, start having arguments Or the user starts accusing neighbor of not understanding it, Mm. and some much more candid stuff comes up um, really after the sort of main the main prompts are satisfied. Um, But all of that's anonymized and um, not attached to any particular user. So, for instance, we just see in the logs times at which neighbor failed to um, Mm. properly respond to a user, and it'll because because of something. It's often Mm. quite candid. Mm
0: -hmm. But there, yeah, there is some. There's like. I think there's there's some sincere responses but mm. um, and then there's also a few repeat users as well which is always nice.
2: <laughs> I can read out a couple. I oh mean, yeah. I don't want to read it because we've got, anonymous. we've got thousands but somebody said it's like the tasty jam layer in the cake or it's like a wave of change and tense it's like a pause and sharing it's an air, it's airy and it's freedom it's beautiful and it's sexy more a blessing than a curse, existence and forgetting, a slice of paranoia masked mostly by <laughs> obligations to participate in the everyday yeah. and stuff like that.
1: And what are you planning on doing with the responses
4: at the end of
2: this? Train another AI.
0: Keep them for uh, our own um, pleasure <laughs> during stage four. Mm. Yeah, get off on them. Get, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. D- no. D- like, no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a good
1: segue to a question that we got from from an audience member, Alana Kushner, who's asked Aka and all of the artists um, basically if you consider the afterlife of these works. And I know the answer to some of that for some of you, as we know, Maddie and Tim, you've talked about yours um, fading from view at the end of Stage 4 with a pop- possible kind of resurrection at another point in time that we don't know about. Yet. Um, But Alana has asked that given that ACCA is an institution that's traditionally used to commissioning exhibitions and projects or artworks where the production process ends once the exhibition opens, has ACCA or the artists thought about what will happen to the work after this period? So, for example, issues of maintenance, bug fixes, preserving the work so they can be re-shown, which I think is actually a really interesting question in considering digital work in the digital realm. And so I wondered outside of kind of conceptual concerns, if any of you had thought about, I guess, more more technical or practical concerns about a future life for your projects.
4: So as you as you mentioned, Annika, like that was sort of built that the answer to that was built into the design of the the shape of what we made. Um uh, because, you know, the deathrist of the internet, who wants to like hang out on the way back machine I mean there's just like you know what what we put out there and then how we hold that and then how we take away like they're definitely um you know parts of bigger questions and so for us it was important that there's something that finishes and that something that is removed and I guess we thought about how we how like what does that mean as an archive and then it brings up many questions about what an archive is and doesn't need to be archived and that, that they're our questions that we can have is, um, you know, we, we don't have have the responsibility of the institution around archive. Um, so, so yeah, there's a sort of, um, that's
0: how I would answer that question. Yeah,
1: great. And Archie, what about you as making a soundtrack? Um, yeah. Do you have an idea about a longevity of the work or kind of future versions of the work?
5: Yeah, I think um, I have been Considering that it might be um, re released in future years um, through other platforms, whether it's a music label or um, potentially a, a some kind of online journal. Um, and I had been sort of considering that because I don't think that the work necessarily sits in one place as music or as sound art or as whatever, <laughs> like one category or another. Um, but I think also that the sound will inevitably form some kind of component in um, work that, like, unfolds visually or performatively in some regard, because it seems to be the way that I have formed my practice is, like, this cyclic um, methodology Um and I guess like um, an example of that is that um, the final song in this soundtrack um, were the words were initially written um, eleven years ago, and then those words were sort of like um, recontextualized in this form. And the rhythm of that original song written a long time ago has become an element. That is a rhythm in the fourth track so i'm sort of like pulling apart and redistributing um different elements um so it would make sense i think for me to um yeah rework with the project in future mm. Mm.
1: Well, it's, it's five past six. Do you, I mean, I've got one last question perhaps for yours panel, but do you have questions for each other? I think we could talk about each of your projects individually for hours, so it's kind of unfortunate it's condensed in this way. But, I mean, there's there's overlaps and distinctions, obviously, between all your works. And so, as artists, are there questions that you might have for each other?
4: Well, I have a lot of questions, but as it's like, as you said, I actually want to have a big chat with you all yeah Um, yeah.
1: well we can save that maybe for another time I have one I guess perhaps to end but it's possibly also a bigger one um, which is basically just how this process of making this work which is obviously a continuation of your practice but for most of you also maybe a point of divergence in making work for the digital realm I guess how it's sort of changed I guess your thinking um, as artists um, I know that you know, it's changed the way that we work as an organisation for ACA, for example, and more personally as a curator, the, the kind of digital pivot has um, you know, refocused our, our programming and also there's things that we've learnt from it that we will continue into the future. And so I wondered um, if you know, anything you've learnt along the way might have changed your practice as artists and what you imagine that the future of art making, distribution or display might look like um, when we sort of enter out the other
5: side of this. <laughs> yeah, I, think I, mean, I know, feel reticent great. to like project into how the art world might like shift and respond or what new forms things will, how things will be distributed or manifest, but um, it's been very valuable for me to explore sound and even just to learn um, different programs and to have a lot of conversation about sound work and to Feel that um, um, that is yeah to appreciate this like whole other um, yeah sensorial form of engagement which does feel more immediate at this time.
0: I, I wonder too whether there might be yeah I I, th- I feel like there will be like a renewed uh, desire to you know be together and to to witness each other and to yeah be around each other more so than ever before um I'm hanging out for performance again like I've never hung out mm-hmm. yeah like it's 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 I can't I can't wait to be back in the studio with dancers to be around performers and other artists again and mm-hmm. um I'll get yeah, continue to uh appreciate that for a, a long time more what felt like a drag does not Anymore, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or because it's become a lag instead of a drag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
4: I just I uh, think there's some something about uh, something about hybridity and expansiveness about uh, who 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 can be here, how we can be together, and I, I reckon there's some there's now some new spaces that have opened up around that and yeah that's going to be that's going to be interesting i reckon
1: well i think it is interesting that i think your works are all born kind of from conversation whether it's between you as collaborators or with the consultants that you've engaged in the various projects that you've worked on and in talking through things with peers so i think there has been perhaps a silver lining <laughs> um in some ways and at least you know an attempt to kind of stay connected at this time and hopefully we have learnt some things about being maybe better communicators that will continue on the other side of it. Um, It has
4: been amazing to make a work.
1: Yeah, great. It
4: has been extraordinary to be able to make something.
1: Well, it's also a, a, a gift for us that you've, <laughs> that you've gifted us until stage four lift. So thank you. Thank you, guys. We might have to call that a night, um, but thank you all artists, all for your time this afternoon and for the generous insights that you've provided about your work and your practice. And thank you all as well to our guests who have joined us here this evening. Um, this talk has been recorded to listen to as a podcast that will be available wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll also be able to watch again uh, via ACCA's Facebook page. And please join us at 5pm on Thursday, the 29th of October for the next event in this series, where ACCA's Public Programs Coordinator, Bianca Putri will be in conversation with our remaining ACCA Open Artists. So with Leulia Shragi, Sean Peoples and Zani Begg. So until then, thank you all and have a lovely night.